0: You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Poonie.
1: Hey, hey, Hollywood, what's going on with you on this fun
2: evening? The snow finally melted in Wisconsin. It's April, and it finally melted. Right on, man. We're almost making
1: our way to spring. It's not quite there yet, although here in Hotlanta, it has been a little bit muggy and a little bit hotter than normal. So I think we're getting close to uh, uh, seeing those uh, flowers pop up and all kinds of pollen all over the cars. Everything gets painted yellow down here in the south around this time of year. You know what I mean? Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. That's cool. I'm going to see, uh, one of my first shows after, you know, coming back from the cruise, I'm going to actually see Sammy Hagar. Cause he's out there on tour with the circle.
1: Yeah, that'll be an interesting show. I'll be interested, uh, to, uh, hear some of that circle material. I haven't really heard any of it. The record's not released yet, right?
2: No, it's not. Uh, my son and I are going, they're playing in our backyard in California, basically stone foxes are opening and don felder is support and uh, sammy in the circle are headlining
1: don felder was really good when i saw him last year he opened up for i think peter frampton and steve miller and uh, he was awesome i mean he does all eagles tunes and he does them really good i thought he was uh, great but i'm a big eagles fan so uh, i enjoyed the eagles stuff
2: uh, that he did so that should be pretty cool who the, who the fuck is uh, the stone foxes Uh, I had never heard of them before, but I saw some stuff on YouTube and you know, they, they, they feel a little rival sons light kind of thing. Uh, they don't have the same swagger that the rival sons have, but, uh, it's a similar sound. So
1: I have a decision to make on Tuesday. Do I go to the rival sons show or do I go to Buck
2: Cherry? Oh, that's a tough, that's a very, very tough decision. So first question I got to ask you is, have you ever seen Buck Cherry? I have. Then I would go to the Rival Sons Because I've never seen them. Yeah. The Rival Sons. you will enjoy the Rival Sons.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe a Rival Suns show it is then. I was trying to get on the list, but I haven't gotten any feedback from their press. So I have a feeling I got the wrong press, but that often happens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a different kind of energy. Like the Rival Sons. it'll feel like this... 70s 80s concert experience with this stage presence from the guitar player and the singer that's just kind of taking over the crowd yeah where buck cherry is just like that want to kill somebody type energy yeah like it's a different kind of energy right on
1: so uh what's in
2: store for the listeners on this uh episode of uh the grown-up rock podcast so it sounds like uh We had a listener idea about sharing our Desert Island albums because we're always talking about them. And uh, I've got a bunch. I've got what I classify as a Desert Island album and why I classify it that way. But uh, I guess uh, there was a listener idea that said, well, why don't you guys share some then?
1: Yeah, so we often use the term Desert Island Records. We ask other guests about their Desert Island Records. We talk about Desert Island Records all the time on all our episodes. We always talk about Desert Island Records. And so, yeah, a listener wrote in and said, Hey, be a great idea if you guys would explore some of your Desert Island Records. Maybe it can even be a series. And I thought, hmm, you know, that's a fair enough idea. And so I think we've decided to just every so often do an episode that looks at one of each of our Desert Island records, because like you said, we both got tons of them. So that's exactly what we're going to get into on this episode. We each picked an album, a Desert Island record, and we're going to kind of cover that record from start to finish and uh, talk a little bit about the band and about the record itself. But before we get into all of that, you know what we got to do? We got to do this.
0: It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight.
2: All right, so Crank It Up Spotlight Battle Beast. If you have not heard Battle Beast in Helsinki, Finland, 2005. They've been around 13, 14 years. They just released their fifth studio album. It is big, bright production and getting you chills just talking about it right now because it's one of my favorite albums so far this year. Check out Piece of Me by Battle Beast. <laughs>
1: So right on this band. I heard about this band from Rich Dillon. Rich Dillon is a huge fan. The Meister loves him some Battle Beast. So that's where I first heard of Battle Beast. And I went and checked out this new record and it didn't really do a whole lot for me. It was just kind of meh. When I found out you we were playing this song, I went back and I listened to this song in particular. I like this song. This song's pretty good. So maybe I just need to spend a little bit more time with the record. Uh, like so many records, they just kind of, they come in and they go out really fast because there's something else right behind it. But I'll go back and check out this record a little bit more based on your, uh, your thoughts and your opinions and based on this tune piece of me. I kind of dug it. So
2: uh, yeah, right on. Yeah, cool record, and uh, man, just catchy stuff. Catchy, catchy stuff. Awesome.
0: Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like, and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock.
1: All right, so just like Miss Samantha said, you can subscribe to our podcast. We are now on Spotify, people, so... Along with iTunes and Google Play and Tuned In and Stitcher and Spreaker and all these other podcast platforms, you can now get the Grown Up Rock podcast on Spotify. And if you look hard enough, you'll also find a couple of playlists that are out there that I update each and every week. I'll throw some new songs in there, and I'll move some songs out of there, and it's just whatever's kind of cool that struck my fancy at the time. Uh, Sometimes it's songs from episodes, and sometimes it's songs that I just dig at this particular moment. So check out Growing Up Rock on your Spotify platform. All right, so now let's get into this main discussion and talk about some Desert Island Records.
2: All right. So the way I classify Desert Island for me, anyway, is an album which I don't skip a single song that I still listen to regularly. It has somewhat of an emotional attachment for whatever reason, might have been time and space, might have been how I came across the record, whatever it is. And I've got probably 30 or 40 of them. Um, you know, I've got them all ranked. So some are better than others, obviously. But these are albums that I absolutely. Uh, absolutely love Never Skip a Song. So I picked the 71-year-old red rocker Sammy Hagar and the album is VOA. So I want to give you an idea of what Sammy was doing at the time. So this was released in 1984, July 23rd. By this time, Sammy had already released two studio albums with Montrose He'd released seven solo albums from 77 to 82, had just come off his eighth with Three Lock Box and had went gold and it charted at number 17, which technically Three Lock Box is still his highest charting album ever. He had seven charting hits on the US Billboard charts with Your Love is Driving Me Crazy, who had got to number 13 in 1982, and it's still the biggest charting hit he's ever had. He had three soundtrack songs by this time, so he'd done heavy metal, he'd done the title track for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and he had done a track on Footloose. At this point, Ted Templeman comes in, and it's his first solo album with Ted being the producer, and Ted had worked with him in Montrose. The band at this point is Hagar on vocals and lead guitar, and they spe- specifically say lead guitar. They like point that out. I don't know exactly why. Uh, Gary Phil's the other guitar player. He's listed as rhythm guitar. He'd been on his albums from 77 all the way through 84. Jesse Harms is on keyboards. Jesse Harms has played with Eddie Money, R.E.O. Speedwagon, Macaulay Schenker. Bill Church is his bass player at this point, Van Morrison, Montrose. Uh, David Lowser is his drum. He was in Alliance and has been basically on all the Sammy solo albums. Hey,
1: that Gary Phil's guy, you know who he's playing guitar with these days? Uh no. I saw him I think uh last year. I think he's playing guitar
2: in Boston. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So now one thing that happened to Sammy is radio just never loved him. It just for whatever reason he couldn't get on radio even though he was this gargantuan in Montrose and they had some huge hits. He couldn't get on the radio when he was solo. So here comes MTV. And oh my God, when the videos came for the songs on VOA, it took Sammy to the stratosphere. His actual highest charting hit is actually somebody else did the song. It was Rick Springfield's doing, I've done everything for you, went to number eight. That's actually his highest charting hit, but, uh, but he couldn't get on the radio himself. So enter VOA. Now, how I got into the record. Uh, I came into music in 84, told that story tons of times. This album released in 84 and I was watching MTV that summer. So I Can't Drive 55 video was all over the place. And so was all the Van Halen videos that summer and that uh, winter. So I remember going, okay, well, Van Halen's cool. Like Van Halen, like Sammy Hagar, but I never, those weren't the albums I bought or gravitated to at the beginning. Then when I found out that, Sammy joined Van Halen, I went back and got all the Sammy stuff because I love that first album with Van Halen. So that's kind of how I got into this record to begin with. So let's go over side A and then uh, get some thoughts from uh, my buddy here. Yeah. So third album on Geffen at this point, and the first track is I Can't Drive 55, which uh, went to number 26 on Billboard 100. It's a great video classic song, but I got to read you the story. So he's been interviewed tons of times about this song. Obviously, he wrote a book, but uh, here's a a piece of one of the interviews. I was in a -a rent-a-car that wouldn't go much than 55 miles an hour. I was on my way back from Africa. I had done a safari for three months, and it was a great vacation after three lockbox. I was traveling for 24 hours straight, got to New York City, got in a -a rent-a-car because I had a place in Lake Placid at the time. But it took two and a half hours to drive there from Albany. I start the trek at like 2 o'clock in the morning, burnt from all the travel. Cop stops me doing 62 on a four-lane road where there's no one else in sight. Then the guy starts to give me a ticket. I said, I was doing 62, fucking 62. And he said, we give tickets around here over 60. And I said, yeah, but I can't drive 55. I immediately grabbed a paper and pen, and I swear the guy was writing the ticket as I was writing the lyrics Got to Lake Placid, put on my guitar, and wrote the song on the spot. Thanks for the ticket, bud.
1: <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's true. a
2: great story.
1: Yeah, I've never heard that story. That's that's pretty funny.
2: <laughs> so classic song, and uh, people know all about it in the video, man. If you haven't seen it in a while, you should check it out. Next song on the album there is Swept Away. And it's you know it's just a song about the first time you kind of head over heels for a woman. Great backing vocals, great guitar riff. The keyboards are definitely prominent in this whole album, technically. And this was a single, but for whatever reason, Swept Away didn't uh, chart. Swept Away got swept away? Yeah, (laughs) kind of, yeah. Rockin' My Blood is next, third song on the first side. Simple tempo, mid-tempo rocker, kind of get your head bopping. Uh, Simple guitar solos, you know. Sammy's doing all the leads here, but you know, he's, first of all, he's not Eddie Van Halen, number one, and he's definitely no Yngwie Momstein. He's always been a melodic player. So the guitar solos are very simple and they fit the songs. And then fourth, the last song on side one is Two Sides of Love. Now, this song is incredible and I like the topic and what the, what the song's all about is it's easy to fall in and then it's hard to stay in and then there's a time that it might end. So what he's talking about is the two sides of love, the beginning and the end and everything that happens in, in between is not as easy as the two ends, which is an interesting take on a song. So like the chorus goes. So why does she cry herself to sleep at night? Why do I have to work so hard to make things right? To fall in love came naturally. To make it last is so hard, you see. I'm caught in between the two sides of love. So, I mean, this thing, I think it should have been a huge hit. It hit number 20 or number 38, I think, on the billboard. And he had a video for it, but it just didn't do that well. So there's only four songs on side one. Uh, What's your thoughts on side one?
1: So, you know, I realized when I started listening to this record that I had heard several songs on this record, but honestly, I don't know that I've ever actually listened to this record from start to finish before today. It's crazy. But I guess the the fact of the matter is that I got so burned out on I Can't Drive 55. I love, I love that song. I mean, it's iconic video, iconic song. I love it, but it's like a lot of tunes, you know, you just get burned out on it. Classic rock radio played the shit out of it. You don't, you don't ever need to hear it anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) So Swept Away, I couldn't remember that song at all, but I I actually liked that song. So yeah, I got nothing bad to say about that song. I think the biggest issue for me, and you kind of hinted to it a little bit earlier, which is Sammy Hagar, like, I would love to hear VOA re-recorded without keyboards. I'd just be curious to hear it. Replace all the keyboards with, like, a heavier guitar sound, and I bet it would be awesome. Like, I would love to hear that. I think my biggest problem is that the keyboards were too prominent in this record. There's a handful of songs on this record that I really like, and the ones that I really like a lot, I really like a lot. Two sides of love. So you talked about it a little bit earlier. The um, highest charting single that he had for Rick Springfield. Well, which tune was that again? I've done everything for you. I've done everything for you. I bet he could have done the exact same thing if he'd have given this song to Rick Springfield, because it sounds like another Rick Springfield song to me.
2: Yeah, I thought about it, and I'm like, this could have been on a movie soundtrack. Two sides of love. It could have been a. It's like Survivor, a little heavier. Basically.
1: Uh, listen, I'm a Sammy Hagar fan. I like Sammy Hagar. I don't like him to the degree you do. Cause I think you're a super fan, but I own a bunch of Sammy Hagar records. What's crazy is that I didn't own this record. I own Dick in the dirt. I own two sides of love and I own, I can't drive 55. I think those are the only three songs I have off this record. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting to hear this record and I'm glad I did, but, uh, the bottom line for me would be, uh, lighting up on the keyboard mix for that. But yeah, first saw was good. I get why you like it. It's all good with me. Yeah.
2: All right. So side two. So, uh, for those that have been listening to us for the last two years, we're coming up on hundred episodes. If you don't know, I'm stupid by now. Uh, you haven't been listening. <laughs> I know where we're going with this. (laughs) Yeah. I have listened to this record tons. I I couldn't number the times from 1985 to today. I listened to it constantly. And I think we all have those songs where we think we know the lyrics or we think we know what the song's about, but we never really went and checked. We just loved the song and we sang the wrong lyric our whole life. And then you run into a friend and somebody says, you know, that's not what the lyric is, right? You know, that kind of thing. So when I'm doing research for this episode, I'm like, oh, I want to talk about the the lyrics in Dick in the Dirt because they're kind of cool lyrics. And then I realized, I'm like, wait a second. He's not talking about a friend. He's talking about his junk. I had <laughs> no idea. So so Sonny, Sonny texted me last week,
1: and he, he basically tells me this story, and I'm reading it, and I halfway think he's full of shit and he's kidding because I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Really? So I text him back to something of the degree of, really? <laughs> question mark, uh, yeah, question mark,
2: I, really? <laughs> I, see, I thought the lyric started, I know this guy named Richard. He's my red friend. I, I just thought maybe it was a guy from Texas or, <laughs> you know, I don't know, right? And then I'm reading, I'm like, wait a second, I think he's talking about his dick. <laughs> I'm so stupid and I love this song and I still do and now I'm actually more intrigued because the innuendo around now Rich he got all junked up something rubbed him wrong but Jane she straightens him out it never takes that long because Rich he has no conscience he's of a friendly persuasion and any chance he has to meet someone new he'll always rise to the occasion that's really cool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i just i just literally i can't believe it i'm
1: like you know this song is called dick in the dirt right uh, yeah i don't i
2: just i didn't think about it <laughs> Hash, so, uh,
1: hashtag sunny's Sonny, an idiot
2: yeah if you don't know that by now you do now <laughs> all right second song on side b is voa Song. All right, so if you've never seen this video, the video is very James Bond spoof, so you should kind of check it out because it's actually uh, pretty cool, and uh, you know it's very anthemic, and you know 1984. Like we weren't in, well, we're not in love with Russia probably still. I hope nobody's listening in Russia, but you know as a country, we I guess we still got our bones to pick with Russia, but you know back here it was pretty bad. And, you know, the Middle East has always been kind of a point of contention. So he mentions all that in the song. It just didn't get enough airplay, and he doesn't play it live that often either. But it's very anthemic, and uh, I think it's a great song. So I don't know why it doesn't get the love it should. Third song on Side B is Don't Make Me Wait. And this is one of those songs where he knows something's up. That's what the song's about. He knows something's up in his relationship. And when he goes and digs. She's like, "Well, are we, we ever going to get married?" I was like, "Damn, I shouldn't have asked." <laughs> I think that's, I think that's what that song's about. But uh, uh, it's probably the song that's closest to a ballad on the entire album. Although there's keyboards all over the album, and then the last song on that side, and this album only has eight songs, is "Burning Down the City," which is it's song about the city's artists. So. If you've ever lived in like a New York or I'm sure it happens in Atlanta too or San Francisco or Oakland, L.A., one of the big cities, there's art, there's graffiti, there's all kinds of stuff everywhere. But you never see anybody doing it. It always happens like I guess in the middle of the night. So that's kind of what this song's about. So your thoughts on side two. So my thoughts on side a
1: deuce. I love VOA, like I said. I dig that song. Very cool song. Don't Wanky Wait, Uh, eh, it's okay. I mean, you know, uh, I like the fact that this record is eight songs. That actually almost seems pretty short, but 32 minutes, I mean, that's in line with what a lot of the rock records were back then. Uh, in my opinion, probably the rock records today should be about that long to keep people's attention for the most part. Burning Down the City, I thought was cool. I like that tune. It's pretty good. It's longest... It's almost uh, not quite the longest song on here, but almost uh, swept away. I think it's got it beat by a couple seconds. But, uh, you know, overall, it's a record that uh, uh, I'm going to probably give another opportunity to listen to because it's one that I probably should have had in my collection. But, you know, I got into Sammy Hagar with three lock box. That's when I came into uh, Hagar with three lock box. And like a lot of Sammy Hagar records for me, there are a handful of songs, usually at least half the album or more that I really, really like. And then there's always two or three songs that I can like, "Eh, meh. <laughs> meh is the best way I can put it, but i I got a lot of Sammy Hagar records. There's a lot of Sammy Hagar stuff that I really really enjoy so uh it's good i I get it It's a good solid pick for you
2: yeah and i'm and I'm in agreement with the Sammy albums like there's I have two Sammy albums that are solo albums that are absolute desert Island, all of his other albums, and he's got a bunch of music out there. It's usually, yeah, it's five or six songs I love and two or three albums I am, whatever. Um, It's interesting. Maiden's that way for me too, though. I've got like one Maiden album I like back to front. All the other Maiden albums, I like 75% of it. But they've got so much music that it's one of my favorite bands of all time, right? So it's just one of those things. So there you have it. VOA by Sammy Hagar. 36 minutes and 24 seconds of pure platinum. And it's uh, wonderful. Yeah, so the first
1: volume of your desert island record is done, and there'll be many, many more to come.
0: Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it.
1: All right. So, like Samantha said, everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell. Please share your rock and roll stories with us. We always like hearing about the time you met Rick Springfield underneath a bridge while standing naked holding a Twinkie. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Why a Twinkie? Why can't it be a ho ho? Doesn't that make more uh-huh. sense? Hell, I don't know. You know I pull this shit out of thin air. <laughs> you, can't, you can't hold me to
2: my rock and roll stories. They're all over the freaking place. <laughs> all right, so grown ups of the week, man, we got a ton of them, and it is so good to see. These are all the folks that shared us on Facebook or retweeted us on Twitter. So here we go. And I might mess up some names. I apologize right out of the gate. Save Rock and Metal, Digital Killed Radio Star, Ken Katenshuber, Michelle Grasso, Josh Bow, Courtney Cronin Dold, Stephen Martin, Retro Mixtape, Michael Langdon 2, Jeffrey Lavelle, Robin Rockin, Barry G. Player, Shamus Ganster, Tina Lieto, Mark Scar, Jody Habnot, Rodney Wayne Delco, Dwight Burns Jr., Spitfire, Casey Powell, Doug Metal, Jason Kearney, Rush Family Journeys, Mike Parnell, Kevin Robles, TWA Joel, Tom Gigliotti, Mark Arnold, Toby Bryant, that's Toby, not Kobe, uh, Eladio, uh, I'm sure Kobe listens too, uh, DJ Judd Show, Serge Jelly, Rock Doc Wayne, Ken Steele, Bella Low's, 1966, Mark Winder 8, Dennis Gennaro. Giles Cheatham, Misfits Germany, J.K. Angel, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Toby Guidry, Jake Lovelace, Veronica of Divide, Jim Harris, Shout It Out Loudcast, which I just recorded with them. Those are great guys uh, we recorded the other day. I think it's episode 13. Daryl Alber, Music Palace Radio, Paul Neighbors Jr., Chris Vickery, Gary Woodson, Peter Cessary, our buddy, Chris Sinzak, uh, Linda Bloodget, Andrew Gico, Brad Rustoven, Carrie Morgan, Henry Ocampo, Fibonacci's Got This, Michael Maenza, Darvin Ravello, Manuel, Mike Taylor, Bill Algie, Teresa Anger, Chris Friel, Alexander Ford, Jeff Reed, Kalen Provo, Stanley Lives For You, Lady Lake PR, Ages of Rock Podcast, Backstage Auctions, Keith Morash, who reached out and, uh, Gave me a um, band to check out. It was called Strike Master. Great band. They're a little thrash for me, but uh, it's a great band. I think they're from Nova Scotia, I think. Uh, Dan Nation, Striper Wolf 1986, Tulan Howie, Damn Good Movie Memories, Chris Fretwell, Andrew Block, Charles Inatolia, Booker Official, Rob dot com, David Cathy, Nicole Beard, John Burt, Superhero, Pole Plus, Marcelo Verzi, Jason Bluski Queen of Noise, Janet Eck, Chris James A., David Hudson, Tony Masalam, Gunner Hulk, Decibel Geek, Gusa, Bill Elam, Carlos Distortion, Russell the Author, Dustin Roxvold, Dave Godering, Craig Osborne, Amber Scroggins Six, Curtis Levin Maddox, Greg Gonzalez, Alan Tate, Raised by Gods, uh, which is uh, Terry Glaze's band, by the way, Leo Mandelholm. Uh, Nick Ludby, David Zanett. Thanks for all the kind words, by the way, David. Uh, Love Ace. Scott Garrett, uh, Rodney Dixon, Joss Matheson, Trace Mess 469, Mr. Happy Nash. uh, I Love It Loudcast, which is Peter and Vinny. They just did this Dream Theater two-parter. They're trying to get everybody to love Dream Theater. Uh, Nice try, guys. Uh, I still don't. Uh, Kelly Fletcher, (laughs) Scott Wooley, Mike and Fresno. Brian Pollock, Ogata, Robert Jones, Pincho Baleo's, Andy Lafon, Twisted Music City Rock Videos, Thomas Bushong, and then we want to thank Steve Wright, BBBC, and Dylan Wright for the whole uh, April Fool thing we did with the four episodes, which was awesome. Restrained, who allows us to use some of their uh, music for our bumpers, and XYZ also shared us. And then I wanted to give a special shout-out to Peter Harris from the Peter Principles. He just did a interview with joel holkstra and joel if you're listening you said that you're still out there proving yourself to you doing got nothing left to prove you are one of the hottest guitarists on the planet right now don't worry about proving yourself you're awesome yeah wait
1: till that new white snake record comes out i think a lot of people are going to be real impressed with
2: that new white snake record i have a feeling I I agree. But yeah, he said, he said to Peter, yeah, I'm still out there trying to prove myself. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Come on, dude.
1: (laughs) Joel's Joel's just a super humble, super cool dude. I mean, we met him on the boat. I met him. We did an interview with him, of course, but, uh, he's just a nice guy bottom line. And he's so well-rounded as a musician, which is really cool. Yeah. I heard a couple names in all of that. That was a lot of crap uh so so one person that in particular that stuck out was Nick Ludby uh Nick is from Australia, and I met Nick face to face at Rocklanta uh a couple of weeks ago. I made a whole bunch of friends at Rocklanta. It was a great time at the time you're listening to this. I've probably released a recap and a bonus episode. Of my weekend at Rockland, I saw many friends, touched base with the XYZ guys that were there and the guys from Denman that were there and hung out a bit with the guys from Tor Tora as well. So, uh, you know, go back, check out my recap of that. Uh, It's been a great time uh, doing the whole Rockland thing
2: without having to go out of town to do it. It was fantastic. And then we had a listener um, reach out and ask if we would share currently what our top five most listened to episodes are, right? So if you're kind of a newbie or you just got on board a couple of weeks ago and you're not too sure, like, how much of the catalog should you go back and listen to and what should you start with, we actually do have the top five as of today. Obviously, they change because we pick up more listeners. And what was interesting is the listener said, most likely it's the solo episodes. And we believe that listener was talking about that either one of us is interviewing and the other one's not present, or one of us is doing the episode and the other one's not there. And it is true that all five are solo episodes. All five were interviews done by Steven. And as of today, it goes, Ty Tabor, our interview with the Dead Daisies, uh, Marco Mendoza, Our interview with Greta Van Fleet, Classic 78's number four, and The Biters is number five with, I believe, Steve Stevens at a close number six. So those were all interviews that you did. Uh, Yeah, because it was the Classic 78
1: that uh, was Tom and not the one that both of us did with Joe. And don't for one minute think that I think that's because of me. Believe me, I'm 100% understanding that it's the person I'm interviewing. <laughs> it's bringing the listeners to the table. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a good time. And uh, Sonny and I've talked about it before. A lot of times I'll do these interviews because they want to do them at, at uh, funny times of the day. And I'm much more flexible with uh, my schedule as as opposed to Sonny. So Uh, I knock out the interviews because it's good for the show. And a lot of times, Sonny contributes the questions that I'm asking these guys. So Sonny does a lot of the research and uh, figures out the questions, and I just belt them out. And hopefully, it's entertaining to you guys and seems to be because you guys are listening. So we appreciate each and every one of you guys listening to it. Cool.
2: Cool. All right. Your Desert Island album. All
1: right, so let's talk about Desert Island Records for myself. Desert Island Records for myself are records that at the time of the release of the record, it was a record that I didn't skip a tune off of. Uh, I loved all the songs. Now, as time goes on and videos are played and classic rock radio plays the shit out of some of these songs and they get so big, Nowadays if I go back to the records sometimes I'll skip a song or two especially if it's a ballad or something like that you know but uh overall Desert Island Records were very important to me during my rock formation years, let's just call it, which are generally the growing up rock years for me are those high school years, those early, uh, just out of high school years, you know, into my early 20s. Those are really growing up rock years to me. I mean, I'm still producing growing up rock years today at 52, but just not the same. I think each and everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking to you about that kind of stuff. And for me, the record that I am going to be featuring today is Rats' debut album, Out of the Cellar. Not the debut EP, but the debut full-length uh, major label release, Out of the Cellar. This record, from start to finish, was amazing to me, and it came my senior year in high school. Nineteen eighty-four is when it was released. Now. I was already primed and ready for this rat release because I'd gotten into rat uh and I've I've talked about this record a lot with people and with listeners on other episodes but I had the first metal massacre release and metal massacre were these compilation tapes of all these new bands that you know some of them didn't even have deals at the time that they were on this and that first metal massacre Volume one release had Rat, Black and Blue, Metallica, uh Betsy Bitch was on that. Uh, I don't I can't remember if Armored Saint was on that one or not. They may have been on a later volume, but I mean, right there with Rat, Metallica, and Black and Blue, those are three bands that I still love today. So that's crazy. They even spelled Metallica wrong on that thing. I've talked about that many, many times, but that's where I first heard a rap. And so when I got that, uh, they had, uh, tell the world, which was on the EP. They had that on the metal Masker before they put out the EP. So I was into them from that point on. And then of course the magazines and everything else hyped them. Uh, and they put out, out of the cellar round and round, huge success. And that catapulted the record. I saw the band live for the first time on this tour in 1984 when they opened up for Billy Squire on his Signs of Life tour, which was the record he released in 84 that had Rock Me Tonight on it, which basically killed his career. The video did anyway. So that's my my story with Rat. That's how I got into the band. That's where I came into it. And um, for all intents and purposes, uh, Rat, in my opinion, should be as big as Motley Crue is today, but they weren't. And maybe it's because they were never as notorious. Maybe it's because they were an absolute dysfunctional band to the degree of they're still dysfunctional <laughs> today. I don't know. They're a mess. They're a train wreck uh but I love, love, love a lot of rap music uh and a lot of those rat records, but this one uh was the one that started it all, and this is a desert island record for me. How about you, man?
2: You're a rat fan bro uh, yeah, it comes in spurts uh this is my favorite rat album, no doubt yep. I would say. The only reason it's not on my desert Island album list, because I do actually enjoy, enjoy all 10 songs, is Piercy. Like his yeah. voice, for me, has to go in spurts. I can't listen to it all the time. but this album is absolute classic, and they would have cemented as a band for me if they wouldn't kept canceling shows. Dude, like Tony and I tried to see them three or four separate times between 87 and '89, and they would keep canceling right? And we're in Northern California. It's like, okay, well, obviously we're never going to see rat, I guess. So my whole life I've seen rat twice. That's and weird. I lived in California.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I never knew that. I never had that problem. I mean, not, not until the later years with all the controversy and crap. To, did I know that they canceled shows? I didn't know that in that time period they were canceling shows. So, so Let's get into this record. Released in 1984, as I said, it was produced by Bo Hill. Do you know who originally was slated to produce this record, Sonny? Uh,
2: I am going to go with Don Dockin. No. Uh,
1: Originally (laughs) slated to produce this record was uh, Tom Olam. Oh, um, okay. uh, Who, of course, produced Judas Priest and... uh, uh, just a great producer but he was originally slated they ended up bringing Bo Hill who at the time Bo Hill didn't really have any kind of a track record so to speak when he did this record this was his first really big record and of course Bo went on to produce some great records some records that that he's, he's actually produced some other desert island records for me which you know I'm not going to get into because they might be future episodes but uh Uh, He's done some amazing work uh, um, over the years. But the first song on the record was Wanted Man, written by Crosby, Piercy, and a guy named Joey Cristofanelli. Joey Cristofanelli was playing bass, for Juan Crochier at the time and has a co-write on "Wanted Man. I imagine that this was probably somewhere in the time where Juan was deciding whether he's going to play in Rat or play in Docking. That would be my guess. But great song. Love the video. Just a song that gets played a lot. So, you know, I didn't see any point in playing it, but love, love "Wanted Man. Great way to kick off the record, the little drum fill at the beginning. That's a pretty iconic drum fill, right? You can hear that drum fill at the beginning and uh, just hear the very beginning part of it. And I bet you can guess that that's what the song is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it goes from that into You're in Trouble. You're in Trouble was written by Warren Demartini, Crosby, and Steven Piercy. Love it. Just another good solid tune. Kicks off with that bass guitar and the cool noises going on and killer riff at the beginning. Uh, Another song I love. And then they got the single that's slated right there at the number three slot. And it was an amazing song, an amazing video when it came out, written by D Martini, Crosby, and Piercy you know, what can be said about Round and Round. That was one of the first hard rock songs that I can remember getting a shitload of radio play, at
2: least when I was growing up. Do you, uh, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I don't remember hearing it on the radio, but oh my god, it was on MTV every 11 minutes. Yeah. Like, I, I, it was amazing. And I still, to this day, do not skip that song.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the I, one of the things that struck me about that song when I first heard it was the twin guitars, right? A lot gets said about De Martini and his guitar playing, and he is an amazing guitar player. But I think Robin Crosby was really, really important to this band. And you're going to find out as we talk about the writing credits for these songs, you're going to see that Robin Crosby was pretty much a principal songwriter in this band. And he was responsible. And if you've ever read Stephen Piercy's book, he says basically the same thing. He was responsible for a lot of the rat sound in the early days. And so the twin guitar attack of Crosby and Martini was very apparent
2: in this song, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You would know it when uh, we were growing up Because everybody was talking about Martini and he was always in all the magazines and stuff. But uh, later on, we figured that out. Yeah.
1: so that was In Your Direction. That was the only song on the record written solely by Stephen Piercy. And I just think it's a cool tune. Doesn't get played a lot. Uh, Just another solid rock song with somewhat of a very melodic, almost pop uh, kind of sensibility to it. But I love that song. In Your Direction, great song. Uh, And then Side One closes out with the only Juan Crochier penned song uh, where he was the uh, only songwriter, and that is She Wants Money. And again, good rocker of a song, good solid way to close out the first side of, at the time, my cassette, because that's what I had was a cassette of this record. And uh, I wore that thing out. I think I probably owned two cassettes at the time of this record and uh, I remember it was a white cassette on Atlantic and the writing was coming off on the cassette as they did quite often in that time. Uh, so what do you think of side one
2: there, bud? I think side one is outstanding. My favorite song on side one's Wanted Man. Those two videos for Wanted Man and Round Around are iconic. I watched them the other day. It was just like I was a little kid in front of my TV uh, watching it. it just amazing. And what I will say about side one is also true about side two actually is the solos and the riffing on these songs, I would put up against anybody in the eighties, bring on anybody Vi, Momstein, whatever. Did they do that on every rad album ever? Maybe not, but this album unbelievable. Right.
1: And it's important to point out, I was talking about, we played In Your Direction a little bit earlier. The one thing that I forgot to point out is that In Your Direction, being that it was the only Piercy solo written song on there, that was a song that was left over from the Mickey Rat years. If you know anything about R.A.T., that was uh, the early formations of Mickey R.A.T. And uh, there were all kinds of people that were in and out of Mickey R.A.T. I think um, Jakey Lee was in Mickey R.A.T. at one point in time. I think Chris Hagar from uh, Rough Cut was in Mickey R.A.T. at one point in time. I don't remember who else was all in that band. But, yeah, so that's something I want to point out. All right. So now on to side two, and side two, I think, starts out with a bang and starts out with uh, what I would consider somewhat of a fan favorite in lack of communication, right? It starts out with that kind of a a little bit of talking thing going on at the beginning. And this is a song that was written by Stephen Piercy and Juan Crochier. And it's just uh, a hard rockin' tune. Love lack of communication. Who doesn't love singing that uh, that course? And it's so simple. It's not a complex song, but People love singing that course. It's a memorable and easy to remember type uh, course, right? Uh, yeah, it's my favorite song on Side 2. Oh, there you go. We go into that, into the only what I would consider the closest thing to a ballad on this record. Not that this record really has any ballads. I don't consider this to be a ballad, but uh, it starts off with the slow beginning. Back for More was on the EP as well. And I think they did uh, some reworking with it. But uh, I think what I remember most about this song and probably a lot of the listeners as well is the video that featured basically everybody that's anybody in hard rock at the time, right? It had Motley Crue, it had, didn't it have Ozzy
2: and Jake and all kinds of people in this video. Oh, I don't remember Ozzy and Jake. I saw it the other day and I saw uh, Nicky and Tommy being cops. I thought I saw Tawny Catane in it, but I don't remember seeing Ozzy. Yeah, so
1: Tawny Catane was Robin Crosby's girlfriend at the time. She's also the chick on the cover of Out of the Cellar, if you didn't know that. That's pretty widely publicized, so I assume most people do that. Uh, And so Back For More, it's another great song. So that leads us into the morning after. The morning after, written by D. Martini, Crosby, and Piercy. I just think the morning after is a really well-written kind of almost pop hard rock type song. I like the chorus. I like the pre-chorus. I like the verses. Uh, I just I like this song, and it doesn't get enough love, but. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I played this song because uh, it just doesn't get enough
2: love. I dig this song. You like this song at all, man? I love it. Love it, love it. Um, It just, uh, the hooks and uh, just that riff has gotcha.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so then we close out the album with these last two songs. These last two songs were actually bought to the band by Robin Crosby which he had had in a band called Mac Meta, which was his old band. So he bought I'm insane and scene of the crime to the band. I'm insane. He has a solo co-write. They gave him all the credit. That's just a barn burner of a song. I love it. It's pretty simplistic song, but uh, there's just something about it. I dig that song. Uh, And then the album closes out with Scene of the Crime, which Scene of the Crime, for whatever reason, I always kind of felt like was sort of a sister song or brother song to the morning after. I don't know why, they just have sort of, it's a similar feel to me in places, the morning after. And that one, he must have bought Crozier in to help out with at some point in time. Maybe it wasn't a completed song or they wanted to change some things. And uh, so Juan ended up getting a writing credit on Scene of the Crime. And that's how the record finishes out. And just a fantastic record uh, from start to finish. Highest charting position was number seven for this record. Uh, it's sold three million copies to date. Let me ask you something. Is this a Desert Island record for you?
2: It almost is. Okay. If it wasn't, it so, well, first of all, I love the whole record, right? So uh, definitely has my head bopping the whole way through. Love the vacuum vocals on it, all of that. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that if it was not for Demartini's guitar tone and playing, I would have never gave this record a chance because normally – that talk singing that Piercy does with that growly vocal usually is not it for me, right? So Martini kept me interested enough to listen to it, and it's a great record. So I would say that's the only reason it's not a Desert Island album is just Piercy. That's it. But Piercy, you know, I, I like him better than I like Vince Neal, if that matters.
1: Well, you know, it does matter, but here's an interesting thing. As I listen to this record, because I need to go back and listen to this record, just because I haven't listened to it in a while. But one thing I'll say about Stephen Piercy, you can actually understand what he's singing. Like, you can understand his words. I get 100% of what you're saying as far as his voice, but I can understand, like, I don't know if it's the way he pronounces his words, but I can get a pen and paper out and listen to his singing and tell you what he's singing. You know, it's no guess. There's no guesswork. And, and what the hell did he just say? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the one thing I would say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is sort of... Let me just take a, a left turn for just a minute. And why this is, is coming up now is because we were just talking about singing and understanding words. Have you actually seen the uh, the video out there where they dubbed in vince neal singing uh kickstart my heart
2: (laughs) Uh, Brutal. so somebody took that video down because you can't find it anymore
1: yeah i don't think personally i don't think that i think they overdubbed him singing some of that stuff and a lot and it's done really well because it does sound like him a lot of times there i don't think that that's I think it's overdubbed to a point, but not far from the truth. I'll say that. I don't <laughs> think it's far from the truth, but it is freaking hilarious somebody took it down and somebody put it back up and said because somebody took this down here it is again and i just <laughs> i just i thought it was hilarious if you if you don't know what we're talking about somebody put a video out there of motley doing kickstart my heart live in concert and vince is s- singing or sort of singing part of the words and you can't understand a damn thing he's saying so basically whatever he's singing they're typing in subtext underneath what he basically is saying and it's like gibberish <laughs> and that's what that's what it sounds like coming out of his mouth and it's hilarious so if you can find that on youtube go find it cuz it'll make you laugh for sure so that's it man that's our desert island records <laughs>
0: Kiss! It's time for your kiss historic moment on Growing Up Rock.
2: All right, so all things start with Kiss, right? That's just kind of how it goes. So, for our, our kiss historic moment, both of these bands have some connection to the band. So let's talk Rat first. So for some strange reason. Paul Stanley starts doing the round and round riff for about, probably about 40 to 50 seconds before they start Whole Lot of Love on March 29th, 1986. I don't know why. It's the only time he ever did it. And it's out there on YouTube if you ever want to see it. But he just starts doing the round and round riff. Maybe like a song. Maybe. And in 86, you know, that song, well, I guess it's. Huge and over by then, really, because that's yeah, almost two years, almost two years <laughs> yeah. right? So, but, uh, so that was interesting. Sammy. Sammy actually toured with Kiss, opened three dates in February of 1977. They played together on the 16th, the 18th, and the 21st. The 18th was a date in Madison Square Garden, which was the first time Kiss ever played Madison Square Garden. Hagar opened. Hagar in his book says he absolutely hates KISS. He hated those three shows. He hated opening for KISS. He didn't fit with KISS. He didn't get it. The crowd wanted to kill him because this 1977. KISS is the biggest band on the planet. Last thing they want is some blonde guy in a red suit up there singing, right? So uh, he did not enjoy his time there. But <laughs> that being said, they don't play the song often. But they opened with Detroit Rock City on all three days. And the second song was this rocker from Rock and Roll Over, Take Me. (laughs)
1: Love hearing that one. That's been a little bit for me to hear that one. That's a great deep track. I dig it. They played this live. When did they play this live? 77. Nice. It's yeah. Good stuff. Dig it, man. All right. Our first volume of Desert Island Records is in the books.
2: <laughs> now, the funny part's going to be if we can get through my whole list, because I got some hip hop. On my <laughs> desert island album, see,
1: we ain't covering your hip hop desert island <laughs> records.
2: This is grown up rock. It's a great rock. It's a great this record. Is,
1: this is grown up rock. <laughs> that'll be that'll be for when you start your uh, new show, Growing Up Hip Hop, <laughs> with with sunny sunny uh, fresh love puny. Yeah, uh, yeah. There you go. The Hollywood goes away. We bring in fresh love. Or Brown Love or Brown Thunder or what else can we call you? Brown Thunder. I like that one. You like that one? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. We're going (laughs) with that. Brown Thunder. You've heard of Chocolate Thunder. This is Brown
2: Thunder. Nice. All right. So just (laughs) want to tell the listeners, thank you so much for sharing us, retweeting us, giving us feedback. We hear from people all the time. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a loyal listener. And um, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, just like everything Sonny said, I mean, look, we appreciate when people like what we do and they give us feedback. That's awesome. But the way we grow the show is when you guys share it with rock and roll fans, you know. I mean, we do this strictly for the love of rock and roll. We're not making money off of it. It's just something we enjoy doing. We love talking music. We love playing music. And we love turning people on to music that they might not have heard. And we love talking to people where they turn us on to music and mention things to us. So, I mean, it's, it's just, we dig the rock and roll community. And that's the only reason that we're doing this. So get out there, share it with some rock fans that you know, that'll dig this. And, uh, that helps the show grow and that's what it's all about. So until the next episode get out there do a little rat and roll give a little red rocker love and we will talk to you guys next week later
0: get ready to shuffle rattle and roll play us out boys